the church along with some volunteers and some other um, entities that partnered with us, we set a table where we feed the untouchables. The untouchables are people that in our society are looked down upon because of their um, lifestyles. Majority of them are homeless. We serve um, over 300 every Saturday. Uh, Pastor Tom and I started uh, May of last year, 20, the 28th, and we started off just him and I with hot dogs. We couldn't put the hot dogs fast enough on the table before they were gone because when you're hungry, you're hungry. Nevertheless, today we count on over 20 volunteers, draw close to 30, and church, I need to tell you this, upcoming, this upcoming Saturday will be in Patterson, New Jersey, 20 minutes from New York, because a table is going to be set up in Patterson, New Jersey. Amen? Isn't God good? But it doesn't end there. In the possible next month, I'm already, someone's already communicated with me from Cleveland, Ohio, because we're about to start a table in Cleveland, Ohio. That's what God does. Amen? So before I go on to the verses that we read on, um, that Dave read, um, according to um, what's on your bulletin, it's important, it's imperative that we first look at the first two verses of chapter 15 of the book, of chapter 15 of the book of Luke. It's important because Soon after uh, this scenery, Jesus tells those that are in contrast or against of, of his actions, he now relays three stories. What he wants to do is to captivate their hearts and their minds. He wants to show them his heart in order for us um, to better understand what was read earlier. Now, for those that have their Bibles and Today, I wanted to be cute, and I started to uh, make a little PowerPoint, and little did I know that the um, internet crashed, but that's okay. Amen? Now, these are the two verses, 15, 1 and 2 of the book, book of Luke. For those that have your Bibles, you can open them up. For those that have your um, fancy phones, I have one, which I don't know how to work very well. But nevertheless, I can make phone calls on them. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I'll repeat that. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the question is, why were the Pharisees bothered that Jesus associated with these people? The religious leaders were always careful, the Pharisees, they were always careful to stay clean according to the Old Testament and situations and their ritual washings. And let me repeat this. I skipped the line. According to the Old Testament law, in fact, they went beyond the law in the avoidance of certain people and situations in their ritual washings. The Pharisees were members of ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observation of the law. They held the pretenses to be superior. Superior. 
The Pharisees were members of an ancient Jewish sect distinguished strict observance of the law. They held a pretense to superior sanctity. He then proceeds to tell the three parables, three stories that would allow them to know his heart with the intention of them knowing the importance of a lost soul then found. By contrast, Jesus took the concept of cleanliness lightly. Think about it. They didn't want to eat with sinners. Yet Jesus took that lightly that he not only sat with them, but he even touched leopards and sat with sinners. And even if it met a negative reputation. The first parable that he commenced to tell these religious leaders, these um, people that was greater than thou, was about the lost sheep and the celebration when it was found. And that's verses 15, verse 4 through 7 in the same chapter, chapter 15. When this sheep is found, the sixth verse says, <clears throat> he then goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. It was an opportune time to celebrate that which was lost. Then on the seventh verse, he goes to explain it in regards to their unhappiness or their contesting what Jesus was doing was sitting with the scissors, with, with the sinners, not with the scissors, church. Um, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he goes on to give another story, a parable, um, Luke 15, 8 through 10. When a woman loses one of her 10 pieces of silver, and also when she finds it, there is reason to celebrate. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, Luke 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. He's speaking directly to what they're contesting. And when she finds it, we know clearly the same way that the shepherd, I would say at the time, caused others to celebrate the good news of that which was lost and now is found. Now we see the story of the prodigal son that is found in Luke 15, 11 through 32, which is found. And also, he's not only found, but there's also a reason for celebration. This story is clearly of a young man that asked his father for his inheritance. We know that an inheritance is normally received at a time of death or after the fact. 
This young man does not consider the feelings of his father, yet the father gives him his portion of the inheritance. The 11th verse says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The 13th verse tells us that he misuses what the father had given him. That's why he becomes the prodigal son. Prodigal means spending more money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully and extravagantly. So he receives what the father gives him, his portion of the wealth, but nevertheless, he was a bad steward. He spends it all, and now he finds himself without nothing. So he found himself in a famine. There was food, there was no food, and he's hungry. So he goes on, he goes on and finds labor in a pig pen. Let's say a farm for the sake of conversation. After he um, spent everything, he found himself working with the pigs, and he considered, he was so hungry, no one would help him or consider giving him anything, so he found himself um, looking at the food that was given to the pigs, and it started to look like uh, bacon and eggs, and it started to look like hot dogs, and it started to look delicious upon his eyes. But one thing I see with this story is sometimes we have friends when we have much. But when we go broke, we find ourselves without friends. My mother would say that a friend is a dollar in your pocket because the day that dollar is missing, your friends are also gone. And I'm not saying necessarily in all scenarios, but nevertheless, it's a true fact. When I would preach in prisons for about 10 years, majority of the inmates would say that from the door in, they had no one to turn to because their friends no longer communicated with them or no longer needed them because obviously the dollar was missing. But it's... Now, you have to understand that for a Jew to stoop to feeding pigs was a great humiliation. And for the young man to consider to eat food from the pigs, it was degrading. He reached the bottom of his life. Let's read really quickly this verse, 14. After he had spent everything, the 14th verse, after he had spent everything, there was Severe famine in that whole country. And he began and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. 
When he evaluated his current situation, he decides to return home. The youngest son hit rock bottom. And rock bottom at times is where we come to seriously thinking and it may produce change. Our circumstances, sometimes our current circumstances are not the easiest circumstances. But God uses that moment to turn, to to look within yourself, to take an evaluation, to to better look at your surroundings and and, and what you have committed yourself unto. And when you look at yourself, when you take an inventory, many times it forces us to look back to our daddy. And sometimes my my wife says, you're just like your father. (laughs) And to me that means that there's some qualities in me that takes me back to my father. And I thank God for some of my upbringing because if it wasn't for my upbringing, I would never better understand my current situation. He would never understand his situation if he didn't have a loving and caring father. He could not balance his current with the past if he didn't have a good past. But most of us, I'm sure, have had uh, an amazing upbringing. Yes, our parents were not perfect. Yes, they had their shortcomings. But I'm sure that within that household, There are some qualities that we can stand on, and some of us are standing right now on those qualities that were given to us. In his situation, he knew he had it good, but he turned his back for a moment on his daddy. He turned his back on his father, but thank God for grace and mercy. Amen? Seventeenth verse. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This was a thought. He was pondering what he was about to say to his father. The beauty is that he, his conscience was already working on him. His heart was what he was going to divulge to his, to his father at the time when he would find him. And that's important for us children. Sometimes we've committed graven. situations for our loved ones. We need to recant those situations, recant what we have done, realize it, and come back and tell your mother, your father, your loved ones exactly what they need to hear. And that is some truth. He makes an intelligent decision leaves his current locations to return to his father. But even before he reaches his father, guess what happens, church? The father runs to him. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Some of the people that we deal with in the inner city are so far away from home. So far away from home because what starts to to, um, take over their lives is feeling dirty. They don't want to be contacted. I've heard stories of mothers, as a matter of fact, one contacted me and said, I have not heard of my mother, of my daughter who has two children. She left home. It's been two years since we heard of her or seen her. She doesn't want to be found. Guilt sets in. Feeling dirty sets in. But there's a mother that is desperately looking for her daughter. There are children desperately looking for their parents. And these are the people that the Pharisees didn't want them, Jesus, to entertain. But there's something about the table. There's something about supping with People that you don't judge with men and women that are looked down across. But when you have those loving eyes and receive them with open hands as if Jesus was receiving them, they start to receive life. They start to cry. They start to say, thank you. You're treating us as human beings. Many people serve. They tell us this every week. Many people serve. But the way this table serves, there's something different about it and the difference is that we have Jesus Christ who is the head of the table serving alongside of us hallelujah and the same way that that father ran to his son no matter what graven situation occurred in his life he did not look at what he did or didn't do he didn't look at his shortcomings he went and ran and loved on him in spite of what he's committed some of us feel so far away because of some of the things that we've committed some of the things we've done some of the things that we haven't done but I can tell you church that no matter what you and I have committed our Lord is at a distance looking at us just waiting for us to fall into his arms the first thing that we say at the table when I lead in prayer in various occasions because we we have one table we serve about 150 60 sometimes 70 so they come 40 50 at a time and and 40 50 at a time we stand at their side we worship we pray but we also speak into their life saying We're not judging you because the God that we know, the God, the Lord and Savior that we know, if he doesn't judge you, who am I or us to judge you? One one gentleman, when we had a worship team on the side, he just started to sing. His words were, I have not felt this happy in over two years. Another, another lady on the line as she's listening to the strumming of the, car, of, of the guitar and somebody singing, she just starts to cry and say, I'm tired. 
This is what the story is telling us of a man that was willing to do whatever it takes to survive. And sometimes the things that you have to do to survive, you can never repeat them. That woman that you've seen on that screen, you, she could never repeat the things that she do just to survive. Oh, if you've heard some of the stories, which I won't bring this, this morning to you. But it's so easy to pass judgment on people. It's our human nature. Even the alcoholics sometimes say, well, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. They're judging the heroin addict says sometimes, well, I'm not a crackhead. One thing I've understood and something I constantly say for many years, since 1990, since I've been saved, I tell them, your mistake is not who you are. Your mistake is a mistake. Who you are is a child of the King of Kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He deserves a hand of applause. He makes an intelligent decision, leaves his current location to return to his father. But even before he reaches his father, the father runs to him. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A humbled heart, God never despises. For those that humble themselves, he lifts them up. But those that have Pharisee attitudes... That find themselves greater than thou, it clearly tells us that he'll bring you down. Now the older brother hears all the Latin music playing. I doubt if it was Latin music church. But they heard the bass, they heard the electric guitar, they heard the drums, they heard all the instruments. He heard it. The, the, this, this, this older brother heard the music. He said, whoa, whoa, wait up, wait up. What's going on here? What is this partying going on? So he goes to the servants and he asks, what's going on? And they respond to him. 27 verse. Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fatted, fattened calf because he has had him back safe and sound. There's a difference between the two other stories than this one. There was a celebration in the first two stories with the lost sheep that was found, the celebration with the coin that was found. There was a celebration. But in this occasion, something different happens. Is on verses 28. The older brother, and, and I think he's being direct to the Pharisees at this point. I believe this is symbolic to who they were. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your efforts, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours, who has squandered all your property with all his your property with prostitutes, come home. You kill the fattened calf for him. And his father goes on to explain why it was time for celebration. And, and the, everything that the father has is his because the brother lost everything. In other words, he said, everything that I have is yours. You know why? Because the portion that belonged to the brother no longer existed. He misused it. He was a bad steward. So he's literally saying, everything that I have, son, now belongs to you. Your son misused, your brother misused everything that I've given him. My son, 31st verse. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. That's purpose for celebration. I would hear, and I still hear the stories of my mother when I was, um, unfortunately, and, 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 and I don't promote this, but the best testimony is never leaving God's walk. Trust me, church. When I was in my addiction, I was told how my mother would pray constantly, feverishly. She would be in the altar praying for my salvation. But when I came home to the day that she closed her eyes, she was still celebrating her son that was dead but now has life only because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, my daughter, my daughter um, Priscilla started LaSalle College. Amen. Amen. Praise God. She started LaSalle College this week, and um, my wife has had separation anxiety. You ever heard that saying, so close but yet so far? Folks, she's not in Korea. She's 20 minutes from our house. So close, yet so far. It's not the same. When somebody is missing from the house, it's not the same. Whether for a negative reason or, or positive, it's not the same. You leave. There's, we mourn that loss. Parents mourn that loss. You know, I, I miss her dearly. I, I truly do. I, I would scare her to death sometimes because I, I like to play pranks once in a while, church. And I, I miss her. I miss when she's in the room and she has the air conditioning and the fan going. I would sneak my hand in there and shut off the fan, and she would catch me once in a while. I miss those things. I miss spoiling her, taking up fruits to her cake. I, I miss that. There's something that's not the same without her. But we got home one, and I wanted to show you this on the screen. We got home last 
Saturday, I believe it was. Sunday. And we seen a note on the table. We haven't seen her for about a week or so or heard from her. And the note said, love you guys. Miss you. It was amazing. I got butterflies in my stomach. I got so happy. But that's the love of parents and their children. In her case, it's in a positive reason that she left the house. But how much more? Someone that truly is lost, like that corn and that sheep. When they come home, you don't question where they've been, what they have done and they haven't done. You're just happy that they're back in your arms. You love on them unconditionally. You want them back. And yesterday, my wife celebrated because we have an empty nest. Um, my children, as you know, they're 30, 31, and this one that's 18. But um, my wife made a celebration. Because at home, there was three grandchildren. There was three children. There was a daughter-in-law. And my wife fixed the biggest meal. And her biggest joy was that it all went because it was all so tasty. There was a celebration. Jesus is saying, when one of my children are lost... No matter what graven situation they may have found themselves in, I'm opening my arms and there is celebration in the heavens. Because the Bible tells us that we all come short of the glory of God. The Pharisees just knew that they were above everyone else. Um, God forbid they're sitting with the um, sinners, that one that stole an apple last week, you know. But... Jesus was telling them that he loves unconditionally. In the two preceding stories, the seeker actively looked for the coin and the sheep, which could not return by themselves. In this story, the father watched and waited. He was dealing with a human being with a will of his own. But he was ready to greet his son if he returned. In the same way God loves is constant and waiting, he will search for us and give us opportunities to respond. But he does not force us to come to him. Like the father, he waits patiently for us to come to our senses. Church, if anything today, it's easy to dismiss as insignificant the people that society sees as a lower caste. I've heard personally from many different areas, many. Why are you helping them? Why are you giving them something to eat? They're just using you. How many of them have come to church? And I look at them like they're crazy. Because you have to be kingdom-minded. 
there's going to be some surprises in the kingdom. Some of us will say, according to Matthews 25, well, I did this. I healed the sick. I helped the poor. He's going to say, oh, I don't know you. He's searching our hearts. He wants to know what you're doing with the gifts that he's given you. Who are you using your skills for? Is it only for the prim and proper? Or you're using your skills and your gifts to help across every social economical barrier that exists? doesn't mean that you only have to do it, obviously, to the poor and the less fortunate. There's people across the world at every level that need your help. But nevertheless, the question today is, what are we doing with what God has given us? And we shall see the evidence like we've seen that young lady on that screen. Because of our faith, we'll see somebody fall in the arms of our Lord and Savior once again. And God takes the uh, unequipped and equips them. He takes the poorest and the lame to do great and mighty works with them. To show us sometimes that believe that we know more and have more than everyone else. That the answer and the person that qualifies the unqualified, his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen.